You are listening to the Zookeeper Stories Podcast with your host, Matthew Price. The goals of this show are to share the stories of animal care professionals around the world, give advice on how to get to the field, and share information that will help out new zookeepers. One of the most common questions people in our field are asked is, how did you get your job? I hope to shed some light on that question and many more by investigating the origin stories of the people on the front lines of the animal care world, the zookeepers. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of the Zookeeper Stories podcast. My name is Matthew Price. I'm here with a couple of very special guests today. We have Chad and Jill Harmon from the Horns and Hero Project. Uh, I work with them at a couple of different institutions, work with Jill at Disney and Chad up at Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle. And I'm really excited to talk to you guys today and find out all the awesome things you're doing with the Horns and Heroes Project specifically. Uh, But first, before we uh, get started here talking about that, I always like to kind of uh, hand it off to the guests first and just have them talk about how they, you know, came to fall in love with animals and zookeeping. And, you know, wh- when that all started, did it start when you were a kid? Did it start later in life? So why don't you guys take that off and start with Chad first and then hand it off to Jill and she can tell her story as well, or at least her background part of the story. Well, hello, everybody. Thanks, Matt, for having us. It's been uh, a long time and it's good to talk to you again. I think it all started with me. When I was really young and my mom and dad took me to the zoo for the very first time and I got to see a rhinoceros. I think it all came to fruition right then. I was really into dinosaurs at the time and I believe um, it was at the Buffalo Zoo. It was either the Buffalo Zoo or the Toronto Zoo where I saw my first Indian rhinoceros and I immediately fell in love with that animal. And from there, it just kind of sparked a huge interest in animals and creatures made up and living today and I fell in love with just the overall going to the zoo is one of my favorite things to do and um, now I'm actually living uh, that dream. That's awesome so when uh, what, what age was that about you know was you like around 10 less than 10? Well, it, it was it was probably less than 10 because it was at an age where I actually believed that I was seeing a dinosaur for the first time so I'm hopefully <laughs> I hopefully wasn't that old yeah uh, but I remember, you know, getting uh, my grandparents giving me, you know, coloring books with dinosaurs and these big picture books with uh, dinosaur drawings and stuff like that. And, you know, whether it be the Triceratops or, you know, the other the other dinosaurs that look very similar to that, you know, seeing an Indian rhinoceros for the first time with its, you know, armor plating and, and, and you know, automatically I, I must have said, you know, rhino or something to my mom. And my mom had to explain to me that, no, that wasn't a dinosaur, that they were extinct. And obviously learning then about what extinction meant and everything like that kind of, you know, right now has kind of come full circle to um, really the Horns and Heroes Project and what it is that we're trying to do today. So, Right, yeah. My favorite dinosaur was the ankylosaur, you know, the one with the, one with the big club on the back. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Tail. Yeah, so similar to a rhino a little bit, yeah. I guess, with the armor plating and everything. Okay, so uh, you had an interest in rhinos uh, and your parents kind of fostered that. That's awesome. So, and then, then at what point did you decide that maybe you wanted to make kind of a career out of, of taking care of animals? Well, it's weird, you know, um, I'm sure we've all got the same question from, from guests at the, at the zoo and, and the park and whatnot, you know, you know, how did you become a zookeeper? What is it that made you want to do this? You know, I want to do this. How can, how can I be like you? <laughs> My answer to that is always, well, I went to art school and, and that's the absolute truth. I did. I went to art school. And graduated with a degree in, in design. 
and and I still I still kept with animals in some capacity, whether it was you know one of my first jobs in a pet store or volunteering or you know going to the zoo and stuff like that. Um, and I always use animals as uh, you know one of my favorite things to draw. But it got to the point where, believe it or not, after I got a career, a job in graphic design, it was something that I kind of fell out of touch with um, the, the 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 creative side of that work and wanted to become more involved with the animal field, zookeeping and whatnot. So I actually made the jump from a pretty lucrative career into uh, a, a <laughs> much less yeah. lucrative career. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it just all goes back to why we, you know, we do it. We don't do it for the money. You know, we do it for the, for the animals. So, I, you know, I got my start um, at, at SeaWorld and I was very fortunate to start at SeaWorld at a time where uh, the career was still a, uh, and, and, and I guess in a way it still is a, you know, um, an, an on-the-job uh, learning. And, um, I, I, you know, I learned about training and enrichment, husbandry, and, um, you know, worked my way up to where I am today. So, um, and um, now uh, I fell back in love with art. You know, it's, it's more of a hobby for me, and uh, which I'm able to balance both my two loves together. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's working out pretty good. That's great. Uh, so how, how did you get that, make that transition from an art career, uh, into SeaWorld? Did, was it right into an, like a, I don't know what, I remember what they call them, their trainers or aquarists? Yeah, there was, there was a, it's an entry level position. Um, it's called a husbandry assistant. And, um, I, I have a, I have a pretty extensive background in scuba diving. And, mm -hmm. uh, I happened to, my cousin at the time managed a dive shop here in Orlando. And, um, we had, uh, somebody who worked at the shop who actually worked at SeaWorld too. And um, he asked, I, I was asking about it. How do I get into it? How did he get into it? Just like we were talking about earlier. And uh, I uh, applied and I, you know, getting in is, is, is one of the hardest things. I don't think people realize yeah. how, how hard it is to actually, you know, once you're in, um, it's, you're, you're, you have a foot in the door, you're, you're, you're on your way, but getting in is very, very difficult. And again, I just happened to have a little bit of luck on my side. And, um, and now almost 18 years later, you know, here I am. Hard to believe it was that long ago. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. I look back. I mean, this is my 16th year, and I just like, where did it go? <laughs> you know. It's crazy. Um, but so, so did you initially want to work with you know aquatic species, or was that just a way to get your foot into the industry and eventually transition over to uh, taking care of uh, of you know terrestrial animals? No, you know, I I never I never dreamed that I would be working marine mammals. I mean, of course, you know, obviously being an avid scuba diver, I obviously love the ocean and, and the animals that, you know, lived yeah. in it. Um, and again, it was just kind of a, a, a stepping stone into it. Um, I really, I learned a great deal from that particular um, position. And, I, and, I, and again, I moved up and into the different uh, roles that I actually had there. I was able to gain experience working with all different types of marine mammals and the, the, you know, the rescue and the rehab side of it. And again, you know, learning yeah. training and the husbandry. There was, it was a really, it was a time to really get a real well balanced and, um, uh, kind of, uh, what's a, like a, a base, a core of, yeah, of yeah, yeah. learning what to, what to kind of build off of. It was, it really, really was a good, it was a good time for me. And, you know, uh, and then I kind of, fell back into, uh, you know, wanting to work with uh, large terrestrial animals and, uh, you know, sooner or later made the jump over to, over to Disney. 
Yeah, that was my next question was what was that impetus for you to want to move to, to Disney? Was it just an opportunity that opened and you saw an opportunity to jump in with, with the rhinos or uh, uh, was something else, some other reason? Well, well, if you remember, I, I don't, I mean, just like you, I, I, when I, I did, I wanted to, I wanted to come over and work. Actually, I wanted to work elephants at the time mm-hmm. um, and, and, and rhinos. And um, I applied for an elephant position, which, you know, obviously I didn't have any elephant experience, so that was difficult to achieve. But I made my way over to the, you know, the, the color stage, the Pocahontas stage, just like you did, and, yeah. also, and also Jill, and which was also another a great learning experience for me, you know, to be that that is definitely a, a role where you're juggling many different hats. You know, you're involved with so many different lines of business in that in, the, in that show. I mean, it's literally, you know, a small a small production, a small theater. Um, and being able to train those animals on small scale and, and, and kind of, again, really work the basics that you know about the different husbandry and training and stuff like that. And then from then, I did finally have the opportunity. Again, it goes back to getting your foot in the door. I was at Disney, so then these other opportunities were available to me. And then finally from there, I uh, was able to make it onto the Black Rhino team and um, really kind of haven't looked back since then. Backing up a little bit, sorry, Jill. I don't mean to ignore you. <laughs> this is the first time I've done it with uh, with with done it. This is the first time I've had some people on the show. <laughs> uh, but just real quick before we uh, get to Jill, what brought you? So you said you got went to the zoo in uh, Buffalo, or Toronto. Was that where you're from? And then how did you get down to Orlando? Is that where the art school was? Yeah, I, I um, it was in Buffalo, and I am from Buffalo, New York, just outside right. of Buffalo. Um, and Toronto is obviously not that not that far. We always say that we're probably more Canadian than we are uh, <laughs> Americans from where we are. We're actually, you know, pretty Western New York there. But yes, uh, I, obviously, I I lived there, you know, growing up, and it got to the point where I was getting sick of the snow for that long period of time. And um, uh, literally two weeks after I graduated high school, I went to uh, uh, art school in um, Fort Lauderdale. So for whatever reason, whether ended up being Jill or whatever, I kept finding myself back in Orlando. Always. Yeah. <laughs> just kept happening. I would leave and then come back and leave and come back. And of course we're back here again after as you know, you and I work together in Seattle where I find myself talking to you from Orlando again. Yeah. Um it just ended up, you know, happening and um and now again haven't looked back since then. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, so I do want to get back to get to the uh, the Woodland Park, the the Western part of you guys' career. But let's uh, shift over to Jill a little bit. And the same question, you know, what was it from you that you know made you initially fall in love with animals and, and eventually want to to go into taking care of them or you know working with animals for a living? Um, well, probably my first encounter when I was five, my parents took me to see World. So of course, I'm sitting in the audience watching the shows, and I said, I want to do that when I grow up. As I grew. I was just one of those kids that always had worms in her pocket or just finding little animals everywhere. And I was obsessed with them. And that's really my only interest was in animals, big and small, all animals. Um, as I got older, though, I was one of those people that really thought you need a master's in marine biology or some sort of you know, extended degree in order to work in the field. So I kind of gave that up thinking I would never be able to do it. And I remember getting a job at SeaWorld in the education department, just kind of taking it because I needed to have a job. You know, I was still pretty young and I just wanted to be closer to animals. And I thought that would be a good kind of balance for both. And then like Chad got very lucky. Um, within about five months, a spot opened up in the animal care department. And I had just gotten scuba certified literally a week before the test, the swim test. 
And I took it thinking, you know, I'll gain some experience, kind of see what they're looking for, but got very lucky and got offered a position. Again, it was at a time where it was really just hands-on learning. So I had very little experience. I did some volunteer work at a little rehab facility here in Orlando called um, Back to Nature. So got a tiny bit of animal experience, but because it was at a time when we weren't looking for, you know, extended degrees and things of that nature, and it was just kind of the luck of the draw, I got in there and learned as I went and just never looked back, like Chad said. That's that's cool. Uh, are, so are you, are you native to Orlando? Is that where you're from? I was born and raised in Pennsylvania. Uh, my parents and I obviously followed them. My parents uh, moved down when I was about 13. So I've pretty much been in Florida almost my whole life. I consider myself okay. native at this point. Sure. So then, okay, so then let's get back to the, the part where you guys moved out west to Seattle. So what brought you out that direction? I, if I remember correctly, you got a job at uh, Point Defiance first, correct? And then Chad was able to get on it with a part later. Is that how it went? Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, it was relatively recently. So it was at a time when they were looking, a lot of zoos are looking now for bachelor's degrees and things. And when I started at SeaWorld, I had my associates, but I had not yet gone for my uh, bachelor's degree. So Chad and I had wanted to live in Seattle just because we love the area so very much. And I knew that I had to have a degree to get into the zoo. And I wasn't going to let that stop me. So I actually went back to school, took online courses, got my psychology degree, um, and then applied for an elephant position out in Point Defiance, thinking, again, there's no way I would get it, but it would be, you know, a good way to network, meet people, maybe for a future spot, and have no idea how I landed it to this day, but I got offered the job. So I went out there first, um, and then a few months later, Chad followed me um, when he started at Woodland Park. Yeah, that was, it was really exciting to see you guys, guys come out there. I, I still remember, I, I love the Pacific Northwest. I feel like if I had to pick a home like that would be, that's, I don't know, it's like feels like that's home to me. Uh, even though I only lived there for about two years uh, before I moved down here to San Diego, but I just love that area. Uh, you know, the music, I know you guys are super into music, Pearl Jam, and we, we bonded over that kind of stuff. And, and Chad was awesome. And uh, the ticket ticket came open and he took me to the Alice in Chains show uh, uh, with, the, with the new singer. Uh, yeah. Rest in peace, Lane. But uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, so then, so then I, you guys got out there and seemed like you were so happy. What brought you back to Orlando at that point? Well, you know, as you know, it's it, it is literally across the country from yeah. to to Seattle. Jill's family is all here in 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 Orlando. My family is all back in um, the New York area, and. You know, life happened. It, 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 as we grow older, you know, the, the things start to happen with family and responsibilities start to happen and, and take place. And it was a time where we had a great time in Seattle. We loved the Pacific Northwest, just like you. Again, it's kind of our dream location. And, and I think we'll probably end up out there someday. We, at least we'd like to, um, thinking to kind of finish our life out there. But again, it, it kind of felt like we were needed back closer to our, our families, um, to help out there. So, uh, um, sure. You know, we, you know, we don't have any made children. That decision. Yeah, we made that decision to do that, and um, and you know, and it, it's actually kind of worked out, worked out for us. Um, so, um, again, that's coming back is what's started the Horns and Heroes project. So it's it's been not all that bad. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how how uh, life tells you what you're supposed to do sometimes. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. So, did you guys meet then at at SeaWorld? Is that when you guys? I guess became started dating, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, became yeah. romantically evolved, or did you guys know each other before that? No, we, we yeah. I mean, there's probably a bunch of different stories. Uh, <laughs> this is probably where you would want to edit stuff. That's the name of the known. podcast, so tell free people to tell stories. <laughs> I don't want to be known as the 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 uh, the 
the prude or the the one that doesn't uh, is afraid to <laughs> afraid to talk to women. But I got can be honest with you, we wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for Jill step, stepping up and, <laughs> and talking to me for the first time. Um, we uh, we had a secret crush for about a year on each other, um, and I have to give a shout out to a couple of people, uh, Phil, Marilyn. If it weren't for those two at SeaWorld. Chad and I would never have gotten together because honestly, I thought Chad was way out of my league. He thought I was out of his league. So it was just this secret. I don't want the other person to know kind of thing until finally uh, those two people with their loud mouths said, no, we're going to make this happen. And they did. So it was pretty Oh, that's too funny. I'm the same way. I've, I've always been like pretty shy with girls. Uh, oh. And uh, if it wasn't for Angela making it happen, we probably never would have started <laughs> dating either. So uh Good, uh, good for the girls that are, are not afraid to take the first move. <laughs> I guess waiting on him. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if she wouldn't have kissed me first, we still wouldn't have kissed yet. That's true. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, let's get into what you guys are doing now with the Horns and Heroes Project. I know a little bit about it. I know it's an art show that raises money for the International Rhino uh, Federation, right? Um, and so how did you guys come up with that idea? I assume it has something to do with your art background, Chad. Uh, and, and, uh, what made you want to, you know, pursue something like that to help, you know, really directly contribute to uh, the conservation of rhinoceroses? So this again, you know, everything kind of comes full circle. You know, I, I, I left what was my dream job at the time working with black rhino and to go to Seattle, obviously to follow Jill out there. And, you know, as you know, Matt, we don't, they're, they're, we didn't have any rhinos at, at Woodland Park. So I, I felt. I wanted to do something still for, you know, the animals that I enjoy most. And, um, I just had this really weird idea of, you know, if, if I could somehow use my two passions, which are rhinos and art and kind of melt the two together, is there a way that we could somehow kind of reformulate the fundraising, you know, how fundraising is done and, 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 really reach out to more people. You know, art is something that whether you want to admit to it or not, it's not it's not just going into a museum and, and looking at, you know, an impressionistic painting or something like that. It's 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 literally everything that you look at is art and everybody seems to enjoy some part of it. So if we could use art as a way to bring people in and while they're in there looking at really, really cool art we can get them to realize what is happening to the rhinos of the world. If they buy this piece of art, that's awesome. The money's going to be donated and um, everything raised will go towards the International Rhino Foundation. But if they don't, then they've learned something new and it hopefully it'll spark something that when they leave, walk out the door, they can pass on what they've learned to others and that, that fire will spread and hopefully people will Will realize what is actually going on. So it's just a different way to look at fundraising through something as, as cool as art. And um, so I had this idea when I was out in Seattle. As you know, Seattle is a much bigger city than than Orlando. It was very very difficult to make this this um, uh, dream or or whatnot come to fruition. And um, I just kind of put it on the back burner. And from there, you know, we made we we made the move back to Orlando and. I got literally stepped right back into my old role working with rhinos again. And finally Jill could see, you know, the happiness. And she's like, you know what? We should, why don't we bring the, why don't we make this happen here? And, um, so we started it. You know, we literally, I, I literally didn't know where to go. Um, I, I reached, um, 
out to a couple people and they're like, no, this is not a crazy idea. Let's, let's give it a shot and let's see how it works. And, and that's kind of really how it started. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I really like the concept that, cause it gets, it gets the word out to people that aren't necessarily interested in animals. You know what I mean? Like everybody knows everybody at this point that is paying attention at all knows, Hey, hey rhinos are being poached and all that, but maybe they don't know to the extent uh, of, of how depleted those populations are. So the fact that you were able to create a project that, that reached out to people and, you know, outside of the animal world, you know, outside of the zookeeping sphere, you know, was, is, is really cool and, and, you know, inspiring, honestly. Thank, Thank you very much. I appreciate that's it. That's kind of what we were going for because, you know, what, one thing you kind of realized was that when animal people get together, we're already there for the same reason, you know, so we wanted to tap into a different audience that, you know, we can bring a different point of view. And even if they're there only for the art, the money is still being raised for something as important as conservation. Um, so we thought that, you know, not relying on those who already love animals, but reaching out to people who didn't know as much as the animal people did, then it would be a good mix and a good collaboration. We're a very, very small um, not-for-profit organization. You know, we are, we are 501c3 um, not-for-profit. But, you know, I have two close friends of mine who, you know, I, I brought this to first. Uh, one is our amazing curator, Heidi Kniesel, and our producer, um, Philip uh, Lasinic, both very talented in their own right, who were kind of my right and left hand, hand men, like when women, I guess you could say, <laughs> um, that really kind of helped do this. You know, without, they're so tapped into the Orlando uh, art scene and um, what is cool and hip and definitely without them. I don't consider myself the very cool and hippest person, but without them, um, you know, none of this would be possible. And then obviously, you know, I, I definitely got to give props to the, the girl that's sitting next to me right now, my wife, because, you know, I come up with all these crazy ideas all the time and she's the one that pushes me to do it. You know, much like I said, I'm not the, I'm a little bashful, like you, like you mentioned and stuff like that. So I, I need her, I need her to be the, the, the voice of reason and kind of push me to do these things. So well, um, let's be honest, I wear the pants. It's, it's, <laughs> hey, that's fair. I'm okay with that. I don't mind handing that responsibility off by having chat. So, so you know, this, this whole thing would not have happened without, uh, you know, so many people. We, we like to say that we're small, but we're extremely uh, powerful team. Um, and you know, I do have, uh, uh, Someone who I work with currently, um, Melissa Solomon, you know, who's helped us really make this grow. She's actually taken this to a different level. And we've actually started a whole educational outreach program where we're actually using, um, we're teaching conservation through art, you know, everything from elementary school children on all the way up to uh, colleges. We've visited a few local universities over the past couple of months where we've done presentations and talks and um, we're getting the word out there a whole different way. And like I said, we're using a different platform to do it and we're using art to do it. So the really great thing about the cause is the fact that it's, it's, it's seen on many different levels. You know, raising awareness is our main focus. Mm -hmm. you know, raising money is really second. And the third is, we haven't really touched base on it too, but as an artist, you know, we use that term starving artist um, quite a bit and just like, well, and it's, it's apropos for us, right? Because we get paid in peanuts, so. <laughs> you know, my, mom, my mom always jokes. She's like, you couldn't have picked the two worst possible careers financially, you know, starving artists and starving zoo people. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's very difficult for an artist to get their work out there, to get known, to get the, 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 um, the, uh, the marketing and the advertising and whatnot. So this really gives a chance for us to bring in local artists and international artists that may not get the 
the attention that they deserve and it gives them a platform to show their work and to show their amazing talent and and to really help them market themselves you know we you know the people that you know uh, participate in this the artists that participate in this they're everything from you know illustrators to graffiti artists to tattoo artists to um, sculptors to we have special effects artists we have um, members who who have participated on sci-fi's face-off that are doing stuff I mean so we it goes from somebody that you know really has very little exposure to those that have a great deal of exposure so the gamut is really really wide and huge and so the Horns and Heroes project works on a, a couple of different levels it not only helps you know rhinos and helps get the word out there but it also does help local art it is a grassroots started right here in Orlando again not for profit that is is trying to build the art scene and also awareness of rhino so no our, our intentions were you know to really make this this big grandiose um thing that could 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 kind of take over you know um in, in a good way and it's, you know the whole thing has been so humbling because we started with this tiny idea and we were plan planning on doing just one show and from the feedback we got just from the show, you know, we raised a small amount of money considering it was, I think, what, $6,000, which is a lot for Zuki. Hey, really, man, that's amazing. And, you know, in the big scheme of things, it's not that much money, but because there were so many people that showed up and really liked it and wanted more, we thought, okay, well, we're going to keep doing this. And it really does take a village. I mean, the amount of support we got from just everybody that had attended the show, um, even Phil's wife, Amy Lucinic, when she started just getting us donors and, and things for our raffle, items for our raffle, there's just been so many people that jump in and so willing to help that this thing is kind of snowballing. And now it's completely humbling to even think that people would be that supportive of something small that Chad and I just wanted to kind of create for a one-time thing. And now it's becoming more and more kind of accepted and expected at this point. There's, you know, we do it every other year right now, but we have in the in between the downtime people asking, when's the next show? When's it coming sure. up? It's just been crazy. I would love to, you know, as much as I enjoy having them. I mean, the, my greatest wish would be not to have them, obviously. Um, if we didn't need to raise money for rhino conservation, that would be right, the, right, right. the ultimate goal. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'd like to say that it'd be It'd be great to one day not be able or not have to have one of these shows, but um, you know, for right now, we're going to do whatever we can to to get the word out there and and to try to make a make a difference, make some sort of a change. And and again, as Jill said, we started out small and it's kind of snowballed, and um, we're starting to see um, you know a difference. You know, we had the opportunity last year to actually go to Indonesia to where the money that we raised went to actually. To visit the country, you know, Sumatra and Java and, 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 and work with the, the rhino protection units that, you know, risk their lives and, and work very, very long, hard hours. Um, those men are incredible. I mean, and oh, again, sure. that, that is where, that is, that is the heroes of the Horns and Heroes project. You know, obviously the horns meaning the rhinos and the heroes meaning those people that, that risk their lives and, and work hard. But you also have to think of it too. You, you don't have to be that frontline person too. You can be um, being a hero has a lot of different hats. You know, you can you can you can be you can donate your time. You can donate your money. You can you know um, talk about it. There's so many different levels of conservation and, and what it is to be a hero. And and that's why we're really stressing on this show that um, you know anyone can be a hero. You know, um, and that's 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 kind of what's important and that's kind of what we're driving right here. 
Um, you know, it, it's all incredible. I, I, it's, it's really, it's really great. Uh, I can't think of her name now, but when you started talking about, uh, you know, the heroes that are on the ground helping, you know, do the work and, and, you know, combat poacher stuff, it made me think of the, I think she was a, a I can't remember, a Green Beret or something like that. She was a sniper in, in the military yeah. and now her job is to, you know, take down poachers and protect rhinos and stuff. And that's just um, unbelievable. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a, that's a really great program that is, you know, that is happening where, you know, all these just unbelievable, amazing veterans are are taking um you know once they once they do leave the military they're taking their knowledge and they're and they're going back and they're and they're they're teaching these um these rangers in africa or these rental protection units in in um asia and you know teaching them all these tactical skills and stuff like that you know it, it's really great to 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 see that um these veterans are doing that i mean it's it, it's amazing that they've They've risked their lives for us, you know, once, and now they're doing um, what they've learned to actually help animals too, um, and and that's 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 pretty incredible to think that that's happening. I mean, they're not only teaching them how to protect rhinos, but how to protect themselves yeah. in the same process because it's extremely dangerous of to course, be out yeah. around. And you know, the fact that people would give their lives for these animals is just I I, I it baffles me. Not baffles, but it, it's just the most amazing feeling, the most amazing thing to know that there is that hope out there, that there's people that care that much, that they're willing to give their lives for it. No, she's incredible. I remember reading that article several years ago and just thinking, wow, that, that, that lady is a badass. Yeah. <laughs> Those poachers don't know what they're, what they're in and for. The so. newest group of the women is the Black Mambas, I think they call themselves. I think there's four women that are the, the next tactical unit on the ground. That's just fantastic. That's awesome. Do you guys have a website or anything that you can plug for uh, that yeah. you can send people to, direct them to? Absolutely, we do. We do have a website. It's um, thehornsandheroesproject.com. I will be completely honest with you. Um, it's not updated. It's really just a very general um, website. Um, due to social media, we have the best luck with social media. So our Facebook page, the Horns and Heroes Project on Facebook, is the, the most up-to-date and really okay. um, we – we use it to actually interact with um, uh, members and fans and people who like us and, and other organizations, and we we, we share uh, we share in, uh, information, information and, yeah. and and stuff that's going on with not only the International Animal Foundation but other other smaller groups that we we work with like um, uh, Mira, uh, the Mara Mara Conservancy, and um, also we do have an Instagram account too. It's also Horns and Heroes. Uh, I think it's just Horns and Heroes. Um, but yeah, social media is the best way just because it's the most up to date, but we do have a website as well. That's great. Uh, do you guys have a way for, I know it's a local art show mostly in, in Orlando, right? Is there a way for people to, uh, maybe bid on pieces or, or contribute, uh, you know, donate online or, or a way to, you know, acquire these art pieces, uh, we, remotely? Uh, currently right now, we do not have a way to do that. We're looking into a couple different things. We're actually, for lack of a better word, trying to come up with this uh, conservation Lollapalooza where we can actually <laughs> travel. Conservation um, Palooza. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> where we can actually travel this show um, around, whether it be to different art galleries, um, to even possibly some of the bigger zoos and institutions. So we're always trying to come up with different ideas, and every year we try to grow this thing bigger and bigger. So that is definitely our next step. We have our own clothing, currently our own clothing line right now, where we actually use uh, the artists actually um, volunteer their time and their talent, and they come up with a logo for our T-shirts, and um, it gives them a chance to actually market themselves and talk a little bit about them and plug themselves and stuff like that. So 
about every month or two, we put out a new T-shirt where people through our Facebook page can can purchase, and um, that's the best way, you okay. know, currently right now if they want to have a part of it. That's awesome. I'm gonna go buy one when we're done here. <laughs> but we 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 um yeah we we hope to grow. We hope to grow, and definitely we want it. We want to do. We want to reach everybody. Um, and you know, and it it is really cool that this was a grassroots program that started right here in, in Little Orlando. But um, we definitely want to see it throughout and, um, and and kind of take the world by storm, I guess you could say. Yeah, I'm completely just brainstorming right now because as you guys are talking, just ideas are rolling through my head. And I can totally just picture a conservation palooza of you guys traveling around with this art show, maybe having bands play. I don't know why I thought of it, but maybe Guar could do, you know, headline <laughs> show or something. I know they, they, they wear the spikes and stuff. I don't know. But uh, oh, that's so cool. I, I remember as a... As, as a, I've always been fascinated art, but I had just zero artistic talent. I remember in like junior high, my one of my friends was like the, just so awesome at drawing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I was like, oh, can you teach me? And I would try and I try, I could never get it. And then I picked up like trombone and junior high band and wasn't very good at that. And then I tried to learn bass and guitar. And now I actually just recently purchased a harmonica because I'm no good nice. at that stuff. So maybe I can, you know, actually play play something with a harmonica. But, that's, uh, but you know, you say that, but I always say too, I am not an artist by any means, but Chad always convinces me to do a piece for maybe the I should, show. Maybe I should take over because she's not going to tell you the truth. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to come out and say this. Okay, so... So every time we both do a piece, obviously, all right, and she is always talked about she's not talented, she's not creative, and I think that I, I I believe that you are as well, Matt. You just haven't brought it out of yourself yet. So I think you're probably going to kick some serious ass on that harmonica. <laughs> but, but um, we ripping some Alice and James riffs. Yeah. But, but the thing is, that year in and year out, you know, it, and it, it is not based on you know we don't we don't. We don't try to, although there is a little bit of friendly competition to see how much each person's piece gets auctioned or bid on or whatever like that. Year in and year out, Jill, with the so-called no artistic talent, has beaten me <laughs> and raised more money for Rhino Conservation than I have. So don't let her fool you. Well, okay. That's what I was going to say. Um, no, I am not an artist, and basically I just laugh because I always say I'm crafty and I can glue things on the rock. <laughs> pretty much all I do. I just try to do it in a creative way each time. So I'm going to run out of ideas real fast. But so I think you are an artist too. Everybody's an artist. You just have to kind of find your your little genre. <laughs> I've been I've been practicing a little bit. For uh, Christmas, I bought Angela these. Um... I don't know if adult is the right word because that puts on a weird connotation, but these more complex uh, coloring books, you know, uh, that are just super detailed and everything. Bought these gel pens, and I've colored a few myself, and it's just, it's just, it's great. It's just, I just need some, some direction, I guess. So uh, we'll get there. Okay, well, that's awesome. But we'll come back to the Horns and Heroes project in a little bit. Maybe uh, we do some embarrassing stories. I told one on the first episode about a reindeer. Uh, Connie had a monkey that grabbed and ripped her hair out. <laughs> Last episode, Rochelle had a uh, was was playing with some baby pigs, and one latched on to uh, latched on to something that she that it maybe thought she could nurse on. So, <laughs> I was wondering if you guys had any uh, embarrassing stories you could share uh, or with the with the listeners, whether it was in front of guests or another keeper or anything like that. Wow, that's that's uh, a <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, my whole career is probably based on embarrassing stories. <laughs> But um, gosh, there there's so many, I, and I, I, those all sound you really set the bar high. <laughs> like, oh, no. You know, I, I 
you know, I've always had, you know, I'm always seem to be the one that's in the wrong place at the wrong time where I've always had, a, you know, an animal go to the bathroom on me or yeah. everybody else seems to know when it's going to happen. And I, and I, and I know, and I don't catch on. Uh, everybody else has moved away and I'm like, where'd you guys go? And then next thing you know, I've got Rhino here. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I think one of the, one of the craziest ones was, um, you know, I had just, I thought I was going to be really, really cool and, and show some of the experienced keepers with one of my first weeks um, working with Rhino. And I, you know, we use these John Deere gators to, to you know, to haul, <laughs> to, haul the, to haul the manure, you know, um, from one place to the next. Yep. And, 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 the, and, and the, my mentor was telling me, you, you loaded that up too much. I'm like, nah, it's all right. I can take it, you know, whatever. She's like, all right, I'm telling you. And it was super, super high. And I, I, I was not thinking about what it was that I had to drive over at the time. And I recall, you know, as, as you know, at Disney, we wear you know, costumes, for lack of a better word, or, you know, our uniform. So a brand new, fresh, clean uniform. And I happened to drive over this, uh, this, this, this rail that happened to be uh, where one of the doors are. And I literally dumped the whole entire back of manure on top of myself. It went down, <laughs> my, went down my shirt, went down my pants. It was in oh, my man. hair. And, um, you know, as those know, that many times rhino manure is not the driest. So, um, and it's no. also the it's also the gift that keeps on giving all day long. So it's job security. Yeah, it is yeah. exactly. So <laughs> I I ate lunch by myself that day. Oh uh, yeah. How about you, Jill? Do you have any uh, embarrassing Not stories to share? Nowhere near as good as Chad. <laughs> the only one I can think of, honestly, is when I was at SeaWorld. And I was in the Dolphin Cove area, which was like the public feeding pool at the time. And we had a dolphin named Bailey, who very much loved tactile and you could rub all over her. And she used to come up to the shallows so that you could, you know, either she'd solicit food or you just rub on her. And I thought it'd be a fantastic idea when there was like five of us on the beach one day and everybody love on Bailey. Not thinking, well, duh, it's like you're restraining a dolphin. So she didn't like it too much. And this is in front of the entire you know, public, and she pretty much kicked my ass, and I'm like, everybody get off Bailey, that was a horrible, stupid idea, I'm a terrible keeper, so uh, I had to remind myself that, you know, I'm an idiot, and these are not pets by any means, and that was a really dumb idea. <laughs> okay, so just just tangentially off of that, I have to ask, because I have not, I've only, I swam with dolphins once, it was at, I think it was probably at the Living Seas, actually, when I worked there. But I always heard all these horror stories, because obviously <laughs> dolphins are a little bit more um, sexually expressive, I guess. Yep. <laughs> so does that does that really happen with guests where they get a little bit randy with 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 certain people, or is yeah, that just total total myth? It does, and that's actually another embarrassing story that I just now remembered. Is that um, yeah, those little bastards try to do that with everybody. <laughs> and I remember I was training one of the little girls, and I was training her for blood present, which meant I had to flip her over to hold her flukes. And every time I did that, one of the boys would come over and try to breed her. So I'm in the middle of my training session talking to some guests at the time, so not really watching. And I'm, I'm holding what I assumed was part of her um, peduncle or tail area and yeah. realize I'm just holding the penis of the male <laughs> dolphin to breed her. And I'm just talking away. And I'm like, whoop, want to let go of that. That's <laughs> Far more embarrassing than the last one. I totally forgot about it. 
Because he, he, he was just like, oh, she's helping hold her for me, so uh, it's a good opportunity. And I ended up just with that in my hand and thought, nope, can't wash that off. <laughs> uh, that's unbelievable. That That's always scared me off a little bit of doing one of those Swim with the Dolphins programs. But uh, uh, anyway, so let's try and maybe an inspirational story, because I one of the most important parts of my job, especially when I get to work the polar bear area, is really connecting people and especially kids with, with animals. You know, I really feel like that's a way to inspire them to, uh, to, 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 to go out and learn about the animals and maybe, you know, care and, and do something in their life, whether it's even just something simple like composting or recycling or carpooling or whatever. But that kind of connection really inspires people to go and, and maybe make a difference. I think Rochelle said it best on the last episode where she said that if people can't touch it or see it or interact with it, they just don't care. So, maybe an understated part of our career is really a conservation process. Whereas in the past, the zoos were just like, hey, come look at these animals. Now our job is really, you know, connecting the people with the wildlife and inspiring them to make things. So do you guys have any any stories like that where maybe you have specifically connected a kid with, with something? I know at Disney you guys work in, or I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know where you work. I know you work on the Savannah, so a lot less public contact. But do you have any point in your career at that point where you've kind of you know, pushed a kid or a guest in that direction to, to, you know, be inspired by an animal? Um, well, yeah, I'm at the um, Animal Kingdom Lodge. So I do okay. all the animals you see when you stay at the resort and you look out the, the rooms and stuff. And we do daily tours, what's called a Winyama tour, which basically drive um, people through the different savannas that we have. And they also have dinner together. Um, so, yeah, we do have a lot of contact with guests in that sense. Um, and there are a lot of kids that come through. Um, so, you know, I get the chance to do a lot of interaction with people and a lot of talks with, um, kids and kind of get them interested. Um, but I think honestly, my, my ones that I hold the most dear, um, not that I enjoy doing them, but a lot of the make-a-wish kids that come through, um, we do get to treat them with a little bit of special behind the scenes stuff. And I just had one recently, um, and I got to do, I spent about an hour with her and her family, uh, with the giraffe. And even though, you know, I'm there and it's the most special moment for the family with the, with the kids knowing, you know, these are terminal children, but by getting the message across to them and their families with them too and their sisters and their brothers and they're all there and they get that tangible experience, um, those are always more meaningful because I know that that family takes away that memory and that memory is attached to something very personal and they tend to carry that with them and talk more about that. Um, and have a better understanding and kind of love for animals and conservation just because they have that strong connection, um, just because that moment is so important to them and they carry it with them. And I think those are really valuable in the tragic sort of way that they seem to be the most um, responsive to when I have that one-on-one. Yeah, those are, we do a lot of make-a-wish stuff too. That, that, I mean, they're they're amazing to do, but oh, they're so heartbreaking. You know, you see they those are. kids and they're so excited and it's just, you just really try to just make it as as great of an experience for them as possible. Do you have anything you wanted to add there, Chad? No, you know, mine's very, very, very similar. Um, it, 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 to me, today, it's still one of the most um, amazing experiences in my life. Um, you know, I had, again, uh, this was at SeaWorld, I had the opportunity to to um, have an interaction with also a Make-A-Wish child, had autism, and um, very, very sweet child, but did not um, communicate at all verbally, and I, I, I guess showed a lot of interest in, in dolphins and whatnot, and mother was one of the nicest people I've ever met, and I had the opportunity to 
to bring up a dolphin for this child to actually touch and interact with and you know I, I could just see it in their eyes that they were um, this 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 young boy was just loving it and, and and somehow connected with the animal and and, and everything about it and, and you know afterwards um, his, his mother gave me a, a huge hug and um, said thank you so much and 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 I left and you know it was it was difficult to as you said it's it's heartbreaking um, but um, next thing I knew I, I I heard this this same woman screaming and yelling and and I, I was petrified I had no idea what was going on I thought maybe something had happened so of course I came running to her and she came running to me and next thing I know um, she grabbed me and literally picked me up um, with this huge bear hug um, crying. Um, and and wanted to let me know that this was the first time that her son has ever spoken was after meeting that dolphin for the first time and it literally um, changed my life I mean people don't realize that you know you know when I grew up and when I was growing up and probably when you were growing up you know we had our conservation heroes we had um, a crocodile hunter and we had Jane Goodall and Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom and and if you if you ever listen to them and them talk and they it, it these people that we hold so highly are these same people that when you were if you ask them the question you know what what got them into this it, it, they'll say the same thing you know their their parents took them to the zoo or they got to go to the aquarium or or you know something very similar to that and and um, you know people have got to to realize that you know. That's what that's what zoos do now, as you mentioned before. That you know they, they try to make that connection, you know, with the animals, and it, it's not just looking at animals in cages or or in environments or something like that. There's there's a there's a whole whole big connection that is happening, and and, and hopefully um, we're we're teaching children um, and also adults too. It's, it's never too late to 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 love these animals and and to to care for them and to kind of hold them up um, in a higher in a higher spot. Wow, that, that's incredible, Chad. That story about the autistic kid. I mean, I got chills just just listening to it. So I can't even imagine what it must have been like for you to to experience that. So I mean, that's what it's all about is is making the connection and and you know just getting people to care. So um, are we, we're going into overtime a little bit. Are you guys okay on time? Uh, yeah. Do you have oh, any yeah. time crunch or anything? You're okay going a little longer? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. We dove into with Rochelle a little bit last last episode, you know, about black fishing, the effect it's had on our community. And I know that you guys, you know, you guys have a, di a different perspective than anybody else because you guys actually knew Dawn. And so I didn't know if you want to talk about that and how, and I know I remember back, back when it, when, when it first came out, I remember Chad, you making a, I think it was a Facebook post or something about it. You said you didn't really want to talk about it, but then all the negative stuff started coming out and uh, you've kind of felt like you needed to say something about it. So I don't know if you want to offer your perspective on that, maybe talk about Dawn and maybe to celebrate her life and what she did or, you know, just any kind of thoughts you had on, on that, this whole um, new thing that's coming up because I, I don't know the name of it, but I have read that there is a, black quote-unquote blackfish movie in the works about the zoo industry and i just feel like that's going to continue you know until until people either don't care or or something something happens with it so uh, if you guys have any perspective you want to share on that uh, please feel free no i um you know i i wish i could say that i knew don you know like a, a a close friend you know obviously um in the capacity that i had the opportunity to interact with her you know as a, as a, a sea world family i guess you could say um, she was an amazing person that I think everybody who worked with her 
looked up to her and, and she touched everybody's heart. I mean, she truly did it um, for the animals. Um, she was only there to give them the best care and possible and, and, and share that with everybody around her. So I can't really get into great detail. And without you know, really beating this to, uh, you know, you're right. It is the Blackfish um, documentary has, has, has I, I hesitate to even call it a documentary, honestly. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, I, and, I, and again, I, I'm not, I'm not here to really say. You know, everybody has their own of beliefs, and you know, it's not. Um, my, my biggest concern, I think, is really the one thing that I just have to say to people is, um, you, you can't just watch a movie or 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 a television show or or uh, read a newspaper and and think that you're going to get all the sides to it. The biggest thing um, is is doing your research. You know, before you go to a zoo, do your research on that zoo. You know, make sure it's um, accredited institution. You know, there there are there are more than one side to every story, and um, it's really easy to point the finger, and it's really easy to be um, quote unquote an armchair activist. Um, but there's there's so much that um, a, a community can do to really um, benefit a situation like this, and um, it, it's it, it's 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 very difficult to to really express and to to to, to talk about you know what this has done um, to the industry and, um, and and to the just to the job in itself, and it's obviously affecting um, um, conservation and wildlife. It, it's 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 difficult in a lot of different ways. It's not it's not an easy subject to talk about, and it's um, and I think that's really kind of kind of where I'm at with it right now. You know, I know I know what I do. I I, I know what you know my peers do, and I know what I do makes a difference. And um, to me, um, you know, I go home and I, I I'm I'm happy with what it is that I'm doing, and and I I hope that if if the animals could talk, um, they would say that they appreciate what I do, and that's that's really all I can I can say to that. And for me, you know, I I also didn't really know Dawn very well. Um, I remember I was in education uh, when she was working as a trainer, um, and when I got into animal care, I really didn't see her very often. What I will say about Dawn is she's one of my first memories of being at SeaWorld and working because. In education and staffing the animal areas, of course, I would watch the trainers and watch the animal care staff and think, you know, oh gosh, that would be amazing if someday I got to do that. And she took the time to come over and talk to me and made me feel so welcome. And I thought, you know, wow, everybody here is so nice. And, you know, not everybody was like that. Um, you know, as you can say everywhere, you know, not, not everybody's as personable, but I, I could see from that moment right away that she was a very sweet, outgoing, you know, very warm person, and she loved what she did, and you could tell the passion just by watching her interact with those animals. I would watch her in awe, and I just remember thinking what an amazing person. You know, so it was neat that I got to have that memory of her, but other than that, I, I really didn't get to know her very well, but the very little encounter I did have certainly spoke volumes to me. Um, right. When it comes to, you know, Blackfish and that movie, um, you know, I personally have not seen it. I just made the choice not to see it, especially coming from an animal care, you know, cetacean background. I, I really didn't want to comment, you know, or even have an opinion about it. If someone asked me, I wanted to be able to kind of, you know, be a little ignorant of that, if, if you would, you know, want to call it that. Um, 
but I will say, you know, when, when people do ask me about stuff and, you know, talk about animals in captivity, all I can do is just kind of hope that they'll do the research, like Chad said, you know, um, and if they, they say things like, well, all the animals should be in the wild, I, I try to remind people about the conservation message that, you know, okay, where are you going to put them? We're already having such problems with, you know, habitat loss and all those things that are conservation related, you know, how do you expect them to all be out there and, and be safer than where they are now? And certainly I also go into, you know, they, they don't, they aren't from the wild. They, we would have to teach them how to survive and you really can't teach those skills unless you're born into it. So it's a completely different, you know, avenue that these animals, they don't know um, how to exist in Africa or wherever it may be. So I, I just challenge people to do the research themselves to realize that that is not a simple solution to just put them back, you know, where they think they came from because that's the most horrible thing you could do. Um, you know, look at what happened with Keiko, the killer whale. That was a horrible way for that animal to have to, to leave this world. And I, I try to teach people that it's not a simple solution and there's things that they can do that are more tangible um, to be more proactive. And it's something as simple as, you know, Cheyenne Mountain Zoo has an amazing app that will you know, tell you what foods to buy in your supermarket that don't have palm oil, which is a huge problem, and just little things they can do at home that could be so proactive and so helpful for those animals they love so much in the wild, and just try to teach them what it really means and, and what we're really talking about is not just putting animals from a zoo back into the wild, because that just won't work. Right, yeah, and there's, and, and really, I mean, except for maybe Antarctica, there there really is no wild anymore. You know what I mean? There's every, all the, in Africa, almost almost everything's a preserve these days. Um, so it, I don't think the general public just doesn't, realizes that you can't just, you can't just put animals back in the wild, especially if they've never been in the wild. And in the case of Keiko, you're right, it was sad. You know, those are very gregarious animals. They need a pod. Uh, and when you put a solo whale out there that has no pod, what's it supposed to do? So, um, yeah. And, and then another thing, uh, I was thinking of as you were talking was, uh, you know, looking back at the thing that happened a few weeks ago, you guys are a little bit closer to it than I am, but at the Palm Beach Zoo with the tiger and, and Stacy, um, you know, it, it's really disconcerting that, that news organizations go to places. I mean, I know why they do it. They do it to generate clicks and, 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 and attention and all that. But the fact that they go to uh, organizations like PETA as their first source for news on stuff like that, you know, say what you will want about PETA, but they don't know what it is to work with the animals. We're the ones working with the animals. So the fact that they go to those people to comment on things like that, uh, I don't know, it just drives me a little bit crazy. No, I, I agree. Absolutely. Well, we can think about wrapping up here, I guess. Uh, I do want to plug the Horns and Heroes Project again one more time. The, uh, you can find that at the Horns and Heroes. Is it the Horns and Pre Hero Project.com? Uh, the whole yeah, we'll project.com. Yes, it's very, okay. very long. But okay, and then your and then your Facebook page. Uh, yeah, you can just in the, search, well, yeah. right? in the search engine, you can just type in Horns and Heroes Project, and it should come up. And same with Instagram too. Um, awesome. So, so please, guys, everybody listening, please go and support them, especially if you're in Orlando and, and local, or you can even go to their show. Um, please, please definitely support these guys and what they're doing, because I would love to see a traveling show. That would be, that would be unbelievable. I would, I would. I would go if it was anywhere near me, <laughs> for sure. Um, but before, have, go ahead. I was just going to add in, you know, um, honestly, even if you just go to the Facebook page and something as simple as clicking like, mm -hmm. uh, when we're going out to corporate sponsors to try to, you know, get money for the shows and for um, 
donations, what have you, they'll look at our Facebook page and they'll see our following. And the higher the number, the better the odds are we're going to get some support. So even if you just go to the page and hit the like button, that's a huge step. Yeah, that's a, that's, you know, really this with social media these days, that's really the best way to grow things. So, and I hate asking this because I'm really not good at, at asking and begging or whatever you want to say, asking for help. But even for this show, it's the same way. If you can go to iTunes or wherever and rate and review and subscribe, that really is the best way to get the word out so as many people can hear about the show as possible. And please go to Horns and Heroes Facebook page and like them and get the word out as much as possible. Share it on your timelines. You know, with social media, one share can make all the difference. You know, one share, somebody else picks it up and then it goes to, it can just go viral like that. So uh, especially as good of a... Um, uh, conservation project that you guys are doing. I hope it hope it really uh, just takes off. I mean, it already has, but even it can it can even be bigger than that. So, well, before we end, I wanted to just kind of give you guys the floor. I like to give my guests at the end just you know the floor to talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about, whether it's uh, uh, maybe advice for new zookeepers or people that want to get in the field, another story you want to tell, um, something else you want to want to plug about Horns and Heroes or anything else you might be doing. I'm, I know you're doing. You used to do tattoo artist series stuff too. So if you have a tattoo business you want to <laughs> want to uh, promote too please feel free to do any of that so please take the last few minutes here and uh talk about whatever you like guys no i i, I just wanted to just kind of reiterate that um it, you know it doesn't take um it, it it's just a small step in the right direction that can can be really beneficial um it, it doesn't take it doesn't take money it doesn't take um you know, a lot of hard work. It could be something as simple as Jill said, just clicking like on a conservation organization page that you, you, um, are into. It, it, it's, it, it's the littlest thing today, um, with social media and whatnot can make a huge difference in, in conservation. And, um, and it's, I, I hate to say it, I've been trying to remember it this whole time we were talking about it. There was a, there's a, there's a really great quote on, on how to, and, and how to handle conservation and what you can do. And I, it's, it's, it's totally, um, I totally forgot what it is, <laughs> but basically the, the whole, just the whole point of it was, you know, again, uh, you don't have to be, you don't have to be wealthy and rich to make a difference, you know, whether it's recycling, like you had mentioned, Matt, or, or something as simple as just talking about it, um, and, and, and teaching others about what is going on, um, you know, in the world when it comes to animals and, in, in, in conservation, um, it, anybody can do their part in the helping. Um, and it's something that, um, uh, you know, we, you know, again, you know, my wife and I, Jill and I don't have any children, but uh, it, it's something that, you know, is going to be theirs um, sooner or later. And, um, you know, we're just kind of renting it um, from them. And it's something that, you know, I, my greatest fear is that, you know, I have friends who have children to think that um, their children's children, you know, um, there's a possibility that they may never get a chance to see a rhino in a zoo or and obviously never in the wild again. Yeah. And to me, that um, it kind of goes back to the beginning when, when you asked me how did this all happen? I, I don't want to. I don't want my friend's children to to have a coloring book with rhinos in it like I did with dinosaurs and, and have. And have their parents tell them like my parents did that, well, no, there's no dinosaurs anymore because they're extinct. Now, obviously, dinosaurs that happened, they became extinct in a different manner. But just the thought that um, that is possible um, one day that um, a parent will tell that to a child is, is something that definitely breaks my heart. And, and, and I hope that I hope to, that will never happen. For me, I, I guess I'll just kind of give a 
a little inspiration to future zookeepers maybe um you know if you want to get in this field and it's something that you love and you're passionate about don't stop trying you know especially as it becomes more difficult to get into zoos you know we zoos are asking for a lot more these days they want more you know volunteer experience they want you to have a degree and all of those things and if it's important to you don't stop trying you know when i went to seattle as i said before i didn't have my bachelor's and i didn't let that stop me it's never too late to go back to school it's never too late to keep trying just do whatever it takes to get your foot in the door whether that means going into education or another line of business your foot in the door is so important so if it means that much to you just don't take no for an answer and just keep trying until you get there oh totally and don't uh you know don't feel bad about asking someone for help whether you're already a zookeeper or someone who wants to be a zookeeper or whatever you know don't feel bad about asking for help don't feel like you're bothering somebody because i guarantee you there's somebody that is going to be there to help give you a hand up whether it's to point you in the right direction whether it's to uh you know point you to a volunteering place where you can go and get some experience or you know a contact that somebody has like that that's that, that I hate to say it, but it's 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 the truth. It, this industry is a lot about you know who you know. I mean, it's all about hard work too. But sometimes that extra hand up can get you to where you need to be. So please uh, don't get frustrated with that kind of stuff. Just do it. And real quick here at the end, I wanted to. You guys are you guys are awesome. You guys are amazing, and you're you know you're you're really one of the reasons why I wanted to help uh, help uh, create this show. Um, one of the reasons was you know that's the thing that we always get is is. Uh, how do you be a zookeeper? We get that question. I, I don't know about you guys, but I get it, you know, at least once a day, usually whenever I'm doing a keeper talk or something like that. So that was one reason. But the other reason was to kind of put some positivity out there about the profession, about zoos in general, and about what we do, you know, with all of, like we talked about with the blackfish and, and the negative press about the tiger uh, attack and all that. You know, I, I think a lot of people are, are trending towards not understanding what zoos are about these days. And to be able to talk to the people that are, have the feet on the floor that are really doing the work with the animals that are making a difference every single day. I think it's really important to get those stories out there. So I just want to really thank you guys for coming on and sharing that story with us. Thank we, you we, very we, much. We appreciate you having us. I mean, it's, a, it's, uh, it's, we're very overwhelmed with the fact that you would ask us. I mean, again, it's something that's very, thank you. I mean, really, thank you very, very much. It's, Aww, it's, thanks, guys. It's, no, no problem. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Well, do you guys have anything else you want to say at the end there? Are we, uh, you feel pretty good about it. I feel pretty good. Cool. Well, thank you guys, uh, listeners, so much for, for, for listening to us. Uh, if you can, please go to iTunes. Actually, we're on Stitcher now. If you use Stitcher, sometimes that's easier for Android users. You can go on Stitcher and listen to the show, too. Please subscribe, share it, rate it, review it. Um, you know, let's just get the word out so we can keep this thing going because I, I feel like, I don't know, for me personally, it's just been exciting to talk to you guys every single week. And if you're a zookeeper out there that wants to share your story, you don't even have to be a zookeeper. If you're just, you maybe you're a researcher, maybe you're, uh, you just work with animals peripherally, you know, uh, and you want to share your story, please come on and, and do that. But, uh, once again, thanks guys. This is episode four. My goal was for, for, uh, for three episodes and we're already surpassed that. So, yeah. So, until, <laughs> so until I run out of people that want to, uh, share their story, we're going to, we're going to keep it going for as long as possible. So, so thank you guys so much. Uh, and, uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah.